Indigenous Rights Radio, because knowledge is power. At Cultural Survival, we cover Indigenous issues worldwide. As part of this work, our team joined the international negotiations of the 12th session of the Intersessional Working Group on Article 8J, relating traditional knowledge, innovation, and practices of Indigenous peoples under the Convention on Biological Diversity, or CBD, from November 12th through 16, 2023, in Geneva, Switzerland. We spoke to many Indigenous leaders to communicate their priorities to our wider Indigenous audience. The Convention on Biological Diversity is a multilateral treaty and it has three main goals. The conservation of biological diversity, the sustainable use of its components, and the fair and equitable sharing of benefits arising from genetic resources. Cultural Survival interviewed Roberto Borrero. Greetings relatives, uh, my name is Roberto Mucaro. Aguebana Borrero. I'm a citizen of the Guainia Taino tribe of Boriquen, which is the island known today as Puerto Rico. I'm a community leader or cacique uh, within the Guainia tribe. I'm the president of the United Confederation of Taino People. And at these negotiations, I'm here working with the International Indian Treaty Council of which the United Confederation of Taino People is an affiliate. We asked Mr. Borrero which component of these negotiations will have a direct impact on the rights of indigenous peoples. So the negotiations that happen here at these meetings that are associated with the Convention on Biological Diversity are highly technical. Uh, that's because that the whole process revolves around the convention or a treaty that deals with biodiversity and how state parties or the country governments engage in that process locally, nationally, and internationally. So as indigenous peoples, we know that indigenous peoples hold about 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. So when the countries are speaking about uh, the safeguarding of biodiversity, how biodiversity impacts other sectors, such as the economic sector, uh, trans-border cooperation, etc., somewhere along those lines, it impacts indigenous peoples. And as you know, when they talk about safeguarding anything, or anything that is related to development, because obviously uh, many countries are talking about development, the development of their countries economically. And how do they do that? Oftentimes they do that through extractive industries, meaning mining or, or logging or oil or something along those lines. But because those activities impact biodiversity, they're subject of this convention, this treaty. Uh, because impacts on biodiversity could impact many other things in the life of uh, citizens from whatever na nation you belong to. So as indigenous peoples, we know that development 
often directly impacts our communities, such also the extractive industries uh, impact our communities directly, mining, logging, oil, etc. So we need to be here to monitor uh, these talks and to understand that when they're making these schemes, whether they're finance schemes, uh, uh, transnational cooperation schemes, etc., how they impact our people, in what way they can affect us positively or negatively. And so the only way that we can really um, attempt to safeguard our future generations is really by making sure that we continuously mainstream the idea of human rights-based approaches to all of these discussions. So when we uh, were in uh, Montreal uh, negotiating the, the Kuming uh, Global Biodiversity Framework, that idea of human rights-based approach and human rights was put into the document. That was one of the things that we contributed so that we can continue to monitor and do our best to hold countries accountable to the obligations uh, that they committed to uh, during these processes. We asked Mr. Borrero if there were any particular concerns about these negotiations that indigenous peoples should pay more attention to. So there's one particular uh, concern uh, that I have and the organization that I work with, the International Need Treaty Council, about these negotiations. And I think it's something that indigenous peoples really need to pay more attention to. What happened here is that the um, Convention on Biological Diversity was adopted before the adoption of the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I'm talking about the UN Declaration and in the Americas context before the OAS Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So the language in the Convention is not up to the standard that needs to be met post adoption of the UN Declaration. For example, in Article 8J, when they mention the word indigenous, they don't even use the, the word peoples. It just says indigenous and local communities embodying traditional lifestyles. And this has to do with traditional knowledge, etc. That's, that's around this article, again, Article 8J in the convention. Later on, uh, they realized that they needed to change this because they had to come up to the standards now uh, that, that we now have because of the adoption of the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And so now they use Indigenous Peoples and local communities. However, what a big issue that we have, especially for Indigenous Peoples in the Americas and, and in other regions, is that the rights of Indigenous Peoples are, are very well articulated at this point in the international system. However, the term local communities is a bit more ambiguous. And that proposes a problem when they conflate the two like we're the same. And throughout this process, uh, this week in particular, many African countries, countries like uh, Indonesia, uh, Russia, and even Brazil, were trying to highlight local communities when they are when their rights are not as clearly articulated there's a the issue is that 
in the convention, we're supposed to be talking about local communities that embody traditional lifestyles. However, what we see is that there's an over-amplification on the term local communities and that it's morphing into general civil society. And there are countless cases in the Americas, at least, and I'm focusing on the Americas because that's the region where I come from, um, where local communities are having an adverse effect on indigenous peoples. And so if we continue to conflate the two as if they're one, it's really going to act as it's diminishing our rights as indigenous peoples. This is the concern we have. And unfortunately, some of the parties uh, are using the ter terms like discrimination, that we are discriminating against local communities. No, I don't think that's it at all. One is that we as indigenous people should not be speaking for local communities. They should be speaking for themselves. But they don't have an organized movement in the same way that indigenous peoples have set up over the past uh, at least 30 years throughout the process of, of engaging the United Nations uh, towards the development of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. We have the expert mechanism on the rights of, of Indigenous Peoples. We have the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. And we also have the Special Rapporteur on the rights of indigenous peoples. This is a lot of lobbying. This is an international movement that made these things happen. We don't see the same type of movement from the so-called local communities. And so they need themselves need to better organize. And we can certainly give them um, advice, opinions, guidance, etc. However, the rights are not the same. That's the main thing. And some of the people here, because of the way uh, local communities and indigenous peoples were linked in the very beginning of this process think that our rights are are one and, and that they don't want to see it separated and that if we try to offer distinctions uh, we're being we're actually discriminating against them which is not true which is not true at all um, it would be like saying that we're discriminating against uh, indigenous peoples would be discriminating against the general population of a country because we have land rights. And when people don't understand processes like treaty rights and, and other agreements that that indigenous peoples have with the governments that now surround us, uh, that, that takes all this stuff into consideration. Now, representatives from the Global Environmental Facility, or GEF, presented their plans for the implementation of the new Global Biodiversity Framework Fund established at COP15 last year during the international dialogue with indigenous peoples on the implementation of the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework in Geneva that revealed that there is no new mechanism to fund indigenous-led or indigenous-governed funds directly. Many indigenous leaders have expressed their concerns about the inefficiencies of the GEF system when it comes to access to funds for indigenous peoples. We asked Mr. Borrero if he thought that indigenous people will continue facing barriers when accessing funds, but now from the GBFF or the Global Biodiversity Framework Fund. Well, when it comes to financing, uh, the GEF uh, was here and they presented their plans for implementation of the new global diverse a biodiversity framework um, during an international dialogue with indigenous peoples. And uh, what what was said was that there's no new mechanism to fund uh, indigenous-led or indigenous-governed funds directly. 
but many leaders who are here have shared um, that they need access to these funds. We've heard it over and over in the talks that direct finance is what indigenous peoples need. Uh, oftentimes funding, uh, when they talk about these issues, there's a lot of large scale pledges of financial assistance. And again, that, that makes whenever you talk about money or bring money into a, a discussion, it always adds complexity uh, because there's many people who feel that they should have a share of that. When it comes to indigenous peoples and even local communities, the governments feel the governments of these uh, of these state parties feel that funds should go to them and then they should decide how the money gets distributed. And what happens in that case is often by the time it gets to indigenous peoples, it's it's very little or non-existent. And so there's a concern amongst indigenous peoples that direct direct financing uh, is the opportunity. Uh, am I concerned that this is going to be more of the same happening? You know, um, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing issue. But as indigenous peoples, we have to be aware that systems like this like the convention on biological diversity or the united nations we need to be here because what they're talking about effect, uh, ultimately affects us however these are not our systems and it's going to take it's going to take a long time to see the results that we want and we've made some incremental advances over the years however there's still a lot of work to be done uh, which is why uh, the movement itself uh, needs to continue to flourish. Uh, it's incumbent upon those who have been here in these processes to bring in young people into these processes so that they could learn, they could see the obstacles, the challenges, and the opportunities that present themselves by being involved uh, in these type of um, meetings and, and gatherings, and that they can help take on uh, these issues as, uh, you know, as needed, right? As we need that movement to continue to flourish. So am I concerned? Uh, yes, in a way, but here's the other thing. You know, oftentimes a focus on finance uh, speaks about assistance to quote-unquote developing countries. But so other countries where you find indigenous peoples that are in so-called developed nations don't see the same, don't have the same access and benefit sharing that um, sometimes occurs in, in these spaces. But yet, if you look at the statistics, uh, even in developed, so-called developed countries, indigenous peoples seem to find themselves uh, more towards the lower end of the economic spectrum. And, uh, you know, overall, generally. Uh, so we've been also trying to bring that up here that indigenous peoples even within developed countries still face challenges and they should also have access like others uh, to these finances it's an ongoing discussion it's not going to be resolved uh, very easy but the only way that you know, we can affect the change is by being here the united states is not party to the cbd or the convention on biodiversity we asked Mr. Barrero what challenges this presents to the protection of biological diversity in his territory and the rights of indigenous peoples over that biological diversity. 
Another challenge that uh, my people face in particular, because uh, the island where my, my family is from is a colony still of, of the U.S., and the U.S. is not a party to the CBD. Um, so obviously that, that presents a challenge, but we feel that it's still very important to be here because the overall discussion, the directions that, that um, these talks take affect everyone. Uh, one way or another and if it's not directly it's indirectly so we need to be here to make sure that the rights of indigenous peoples are respected because what's the alternative they're going to be violated right mm -hmm. and so we need to really be uh, aware active and proactive in, in these spaces so even though our, our country is not um, a party some of the agreements here uh, we can still bring them up because again of the human rights-based approaches of the um, of the standards that we've already set as indigenous peoples even to acknowledge uh, you know our communities as indigenous sometimes the governments don't do that but if we understand what our rights are uh, such as the declaration of the rights of indigenous peoples it doesn't matter what the government says. We know who we are, and it's up to us to say if we're indigenous or not. And um, you know that that's why we're here. We feel that this process will impact us, uh, even though the U.S. is not is not a party to the convention. And in conclusion, we ask Mr. Borrero if he is hopeful that uh, these negotiations are going the right way, and if it will help to advance the rights of indigenous peoples worldwide, and how. Am I hopeful about these negotiations? Well, um, I'm always ca cautiously optimistic. This particular session was uh, a bit more frustrating because there seemed to be a, a lot of backsliding on the previous agreements. Even uh, the Kuming uh, Global Biodiversity Framework, you know, was adopted, you know, just 10 months ago, and it seems that already parties are trying to renegotiate the document, and that's not what we're here for. We're here for the implementation uh, of, of the framework. Uh, but yet, you know, this one, this local communities issue has come up, and there's been a pushback by uh, many African states, and along with some, like, that I mentioned earlier, Indonesia, Russia, Brazil, that want to highlight this issue of local communities, which, again, is... is uh, at least in the context of the Americas, is is a serious situation. Um, you know, the, the bringing up that language and kind of trying to dig in there is concerning. Uh, also, there seems to be a pushback on general mention of human rights. There again, many of these countries are trying to separate the environmental frameworks from the human rights framework. But uh, fortunately, in one of the meetings, there was uh, a representative of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights uh, when uh, one of these parties was trying to separate or silo the CBD process from the human rights processes. Uh, there was a point of clarification where um, it was said that human rights run across the full system of the United Nations, that there's no body that is above uh, engaging human rights 
And so I think that that's important for us as indigenous peoples, as advocates, as we move forward to remember that that human rights-based approach is, is a really strong one. And it's supposed to underpin all the work here that's related to this multilateral process that is called the United Nations. So um, we have language in this uh, Kuming uh, Global Biodiversity Framework that highlights that, that human rights-based approach. It highlights the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and we need to be strong on that and move forward. So in that way, I'm hopeful because the language is there in the document. Where it gets frustrating is to see countries kind of going back on their issues, but we need to keep up the pressure and we need to also find uh, allies in the process to help us hold the line on those issues. Because I think if you look at what's happening all over the world, we see an assault on human rights and uh, we need to really step up and, and stand up for human rights at this point. For more on the rights of indigenous peoples, visit cs.org and follow Cultural Survival on Facebook and Twitter.